Welcome to episode nine of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of sustainability, wellness, and community in real estate and hospitality today. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of BioBlue Eco Yachts, Biophilico Interiors, and BioFit Nature Gyms. In this episode, we talk to Patty Santos, founder of The Good Thing, a newly created architecture practice focused specifically on health and wellness in London, UK. Patty worked with world-renowned landscape architects Lily and Charles Jenks for many years, where she developed an interest in environmental psychology and biophilic design, eventually going on to certify in the well-building standard and setting up her own practice. Patty and Lily were fundamental in creating the very first Biofit organic gym for me in London back in 2017. I know them both and respect them greatly. So in this conversation, it was an opportunity to discuss a number of themes. For example, the distinction between design and operational policies within the well building system, the role of natural and toxin free materials in creating a green and healthy building the connection between sustainability on one side and wellness on the other within an an original client brief, the benefits of circadian lighting systems, the new well health and safety seal as a response from commercial real estate to the COVID crisis, and finally the shift towards healthier, greener homes equipped for both work and exercise. Nada mas, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Patty Santos of The Good Thing. Patty, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Perhaps you could start with just a quick intro into your professional background and your training, so your career path, basically, towards setting up your own practice, The Good Thing. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Um, So I studied architecture in Valencia, in Spain, and while I was still a student, I started my own architecture practice there in Valencia called Equipo Propio, along with uh, two other architects. We did so many competitions, we got shortlisted in a few of them, and we won one to build an intergenerational housing building consisting of 15 dwellings and a day center in Palma, Mallorca. It was going to be the first intergenerational building in Spain, but once it was finished, the council decided to give these homes to abused uh, women because sadly the number of them was increasing and their situation was very worrying. Um, So we designed the building in a way that uh, we brought the sense of community in, creating the feeling of the Mediterranean Mediterranean streets in the communal corridor. And um, now we are very happy to know that that concept of living works for people who need uh, to feel safe and loved. Um, I finished then, uh, after that, I finished my degree with the highest uh, marks in my final final thesis project, and I could have have continued my career there in Spain. That would have been probably um, easier. However, my my dream was to live uh, here in London, and I decided to pursue my my dream, and it was the best thing I've done in my life. I started to work at Lily Jenks Studio uh, in twenty in, to, in two thousand and twelve, and I and then I registered at the RIBA uh, and the Architect Registration Board. Uh, and then, yeah, I started. Uh, well, I, I was working for uh, with Lily for six, seven years. Yeah. 
And that, that was where we first connected then on, on one of the early, well, the very first Biofit uh, Nature Gym showroom in, in London. And already by then there was, we were maybe early. Um, it was sort of perhaps before biophilia and, and wellness spaces had really become as, I wouldn't say mainstream as they are now, but certainly more recognized. So Lily Jenks, obviously a big name in architecture and specifically in landscape architecture. How was that experience of working with someone coming from that background of primarily designing um, sort of outdoor and garden spaces, very unique spaces, and you were the architect within that studio? So how did that influence your your thinking about wellness design and, and in wellness interiors? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it was a long time ago when we when we met. Um, yeah, it was my first contact with biophilic design. Uh, at the beginning, uh, it was a bit sh- uh, of a shock for me um, to uh, work with someone like uh, Lily Jenks and, and Charles. Uh, I was coming from the Polytechnic uh, University of Valencia, and my education was very technical. And in terms of architecture style, we were very influenced by the ras- rationalism and uh, of the mo- modern movement. And suddenly I encounter myself drawing carves and thinking architecture in a very narrative way. Um, just uh, after starting to work with Lily, I found out about the connection of the Jenks family with the Maggie centers. And it was then when I realized the impact that architecture can have in people's health and well-being. Also working with Charles was incredible. Not only uh, it was unbelievable for me to be sharing ideas with one of the most influential architecture critics of the 20th century, but also because he was the first person who taught me about the universe and the brain. Um, that, that's, I think that's probably why I'm so interested nowadays in neuroscience and uh, physical, uh, uh, sorry, and uh, environmental psychology. Uh, yeah, I remember it was a magical moment for me. I was very lucky to work with Lily for so many years. You mentioned the Maggie Centers. So perhaps for people, for anyone listening who doesn't know what the story is there, there's, they're essentially um, healing, uh, healing spaces, right, for people diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it came about through the connection with um, the late Maggie Jenks. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, Lily's mother, yeah. So the idea is that you would then have a space where someone who is perhaps you know, dealing with a with a critical illness is able to, in some way, um, experience the positive uh, energies of of being surrounded by nature, even in a um, a city environment. So then thinking about how you apply that same logic to, you know, let's say, urban projects that you're working on where you're taking that well standard or the well building standard um, knowledge that you have and applying it. So can you just talk to us about perhaps some of the projects that you have been working on or are working on now where you're combining your architecture skills with that approach to wellness? Yeah, I, I have to admit, uh, I was a bit lost on how I could develop this interest in uh, this interest between health and, and, and architecture. I came across the well building standard in 2018, but I wasn't sure if that was for me. So instead of enrolling the course, I continued doing my own research. However, last year I wanted to start uh, my company, The Good Thing, and I did uh, realize that uh, studying for uh, becoming a well-AP, well-accredited uh, professional, 
was going to be easier uh, for me ra rather than doing research on my own to help me in my goal of being an expert in well-being in the built environment. And I think I wasn't wrong. Uh, I didn't become, well, AP only to be a consultant that can help a project to get certified. I did it in order to understand how I could think about my architecture projects from the beginning with human health as a driver. So I try to implement uh, the world concepts uh, in my projects. For example, um, we recently did concept design for a small office in Alicante. And, uh, and we, we had so many features of uh, the world building standard, like air quality, circadian lighting, comfort, movement, nourishment, uh, and, line, uh, and mind. But not everything uh, is designed. Around 40% of the standard is about policies. Um, so even if the client doesn't want to get uh, the certification, but they want to have a health building, we give them a ser series of uh, advices or rules that uh, we encourage uh, uh, them to implement. And in a very similar case with private residential projects, we, we start, we start uh, our projects with a health uh, and lifestyle questionnaire that, that uh, helps us to create a brief of, of a project that uh, will improve, will improve res the, the resident's uh, uh, life. And we base this on our findings on the well-building standard. Um, in summary, I think, yeah, we, we use human-centered and evidence-based uh, design, like the well standard, to, and, and, and our findings on neuroscience and environmental psychology as a base for our projects, not necessarily to get an accredit, uh, the certification, but uh, to create healthy spaces for humans where they can perform and overall feel at their best. It's interesting. You mentioned the idea of there being, uh, I think you said 40% of the well standard that is more about policy, so effectively building management or facility management. Um, you know, I've, I've done the FitWell certification, which is pretty much all about operations mm -hmm. and facilities management piece. And in fact, that it's often an easier way in for, for a corporate office building where um, perhaps they just haven't got the, the, the budget to do a full refit, but they're interested in adding some, some elements of this sort of healthy building concept. But obviously there you don't get to have an impact on, for example, the materials used in in a building, whether it's the interiors or, or the facade or indeed in, in the construction. From your perspective then, as, as an architect who delivers projects as an architect with an understanding of, of the well standard now, how do you how do you think about materials, for example, on a fit out? What are the kind of materials that you're typically pushing or recommending for a client that can have a positive impact on, on the health and well-being of someone spending time, eight, 10 hours each day, potentially in that same building? Um, well, first of all, um, and this is related to, to, to materials, uh, I think, so if we have the opportunity, if we have a project in which uh, the client is not sure about if he wants to demolish or if he wants to do a refurbishment or we, that is, that is a very important part of the project. Um, so it's something that is not always possible to, to refurbish, but, uh, as I say to my students that, uh, are currently working on improving uh, a social housing estate from the seventies, if you decide to demolish, even you, even, uh, um, 
do you, I mean, if you decide to, to, to demolish, you have to be aware of the carbon footprint that your actions will generate. And, um, and then do you need to think about the waste? Is, so it's not only thinking about the materials ahead, it's about thinking the materials that you are uh, producing as a waste uh, as well when you are uh, taking some uh, decisions as an architect. Um, but uh, if you, and, and you need to plan for a, this, a second life for, for those materials. But if we, if we were uh, to, to build uh, something new, I, I recommend exploring a structural timber systems like SIP um, panels and CLT, cross-laminated timber, mm-hmm. because timber is a rene- renewable uh, material that could also help to ne- uh, neutralize or absorb uh, CO2 from the atmosphere. And uh, I would recommend to uh, try to use as many natural materials as, as possible, like timber and natural stones. In interior fit-outs, use uh, zero-box paints, use natural fabrics, and avoid uh, anti-stains and other chemical treatments that, uh, that can alter your endocrine system and therefore can cause metabolic is- issues like diabetes and obesity. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and these these chemicals can can cause learning disabilities in children, uh, respiratory problems, uh, and can alter nervous system. And so, yeah, look for a cradle to cradle, uh, and uh, all. Th- there are many certifications uh, there now that uh, are trying to make easier this um, this process of uh, specifying and choosing the the right materials. But uh, I have to say, it's, it's, still, very, uh, it's still very complicated uh, process. And uh, make use of new technology like uh, circadian lighting systems. And uh, yes, I said, like, avoid plastic as much as possible. And of course, bring nature in. So you've, you've touched on an inter- a theme there around the idea of, of where wellness can connect with nature and in in many instances the natural is often healthy it is often sustainable not always but, but presumably if, if one's sourcing for example bamboo then you have a, a natural and sustainable solution that is also healthy so then you, you get into the discussion around green buildings and healthy buildings so for example, on the on the green building side, the LEED and BRIAM certification systems, and then on the healthy building side, you have primarily the well building standard and and FitWell. So, how do you now think about that that sort of balance of concerns for sustainability on one side and health and wellness on the other? Are they are they completely separate? Is there how much crossover do you see between the two? Yeah, I love this question. Um, everybody is, is asking me uh, this because um, I I think cert- certification systems apart. This is one of the questions that yeah uh, that I get most. And my answer, in short, is uh, I have no doubt that uh, what is good for the planet is good for your own health, and vice versa. Sustainability is a, is something that should be implicit in every architectural project. 10, 15 years ago, it was it was a trend, but uh, but now uh, is is or should be part of of uh, architecture projects. And with with health uh, and well being, uh, it's gonna happen the same and even faster because um, is uh, when 
you, you are concerned that uh, there is a lot of pollution out there and uh, we are uh, we are having uh, all we are suffering all the issues from uh, climate change but uh, when when some when when you start realizing that uh, you actually can have physical and mental uh, illnesses because of uh, the spaces that you inhabit I think you get you get uh, more nervous about it, and uh, you you get more uh, aware. And uh, so I think I think this uh, this process is gonna be even faster with with health and well being than it was for uh, with uh, sustainability. But coming back to your question, yes, absolutely. For me, they come together. Um, yeah. How however, clients are frequently concerned only about sustainability, and they get very surprised when. You mentioned that their homes might be making them sick and unhappy, for example. So part of that is then yeah, a, a rising awareness amongst amongst clients, but particularly, let's say, the general population around an understanding of, of yeah. how the, the environments, the indoor environments can can impact our health. I, I think, you know, within the well certification or the well approach, there's there's obviously a lot that perhaps some we might we might feel is more instinctive. For, for example, you know they have sections or, or entire uh, chapters on on movement and nourishment. I think we all understand that that sort of moving more during the day, not staying sit, sitting down for too long, eating a healthy diet, avoiding too much refined sugar, etc. A lot of that is common sense. Obviously, it's backed up by a lot of science in the in the the well. Um, accreditation system but from from your perspective as you went into that as an architect you know just perhaps thinking of someone who's could be in a similar situation an architect or engineer background and they're going into the well um, AP accreditation or just starting to do their research on it like what were the areas of it that that felt more comfortable for you and what were the areas of it where you you sort of had to step outside of your comfort zone if, if there were any and and sort of stretch across into facilities management or even to some extent lifestyle concerns right have an impact in our mood and uh, yeah and and can produce physical illnesses as well not only mental the the circadian lighting topics uh yeah it's, it's, a, it's a when you apply it to a gym it gets quite not complicated but you have to think about well a gym is somewhere that people want to exercise so they want to be energized most of the time until they're, they're doing the, the cool down at the end of their workout. So you'd think, well, sort of more in the blue-white light spectrum. But if someone's doing a workout at 8 p.m. after work, um, you know, this is obviously in, outside of COVID constraints, but say they're training between 8 and 9 p.m. and then going home, do we want to be blasting them with blue-white light or is it better to keep them in the amber spectrum and uh, and yeah, try not to disrupt their, their sleeping patterns. Something else that we're finding a lot at the moment with uh, gyms with, that connects with, uh, with the well um, program is this idea of, of, of health and safety seals. So trying to yeah, create a space that is effectively protected against viruses, whether it be this particular variant of COVID or whatever might come back in the future. So have you looked at the, the new well 
um, health and safety seal that's come out? And, and if so, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, yeah, is, um, have you seen the promotional video with all the celebrities on it? Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it's Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm not the kind of person that is into the star system, but uh, I have to say that I think it's a very clever. It's very clever to have Lady Gaga or Robert De Niro to reach a, as much diverse population as possible, because the most important thing is to bring uh, awareness. And uh, the wealth, uh, the well health uh, safety rating is uh, an evidence-based, third-party verified uh, rating for all type of facilities so so it's a sign it's a sign of a uh, trust so it's um it is focused on opera- operational policies maintenance protocols emergency plans and stakeholder education to help organizations uh, get back to business now and uh, address broader health and safety related issues into the future it is uh, imp- important for the financial system that business uh, businesses continue operating. Um, yeah, the idea is that uh, people uh, are safe when going into commercial or ed- educational or other types of uh, premises. But it's effectively a lighter touch than going through the whole well certification oh. process, right? It's it's, it's it doesn't require huge amounts of of capital expenditure. Or big budgets, it's something that's more accessible to a wider, a wider range of, of, for example, office buildings or office occupiers, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, uh, as you, uh, as we said, like, um, uh, is is a lot about policies. It's a it's a lot about uh, operational maintenance and uh, the registration of uh, for this for this uh, um, health and sa- health safety seal. Is uh, I think it's starting in two thousand five hundred dollars, something mm. like that. So, and the and the and the process is much uh, quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then, if we if we step back to focus again on on really your core business, which is you know as an architect designing buildings and and interior spaces or interior architectural spaces. So looking forward from today, as you look um, two to three years down. Uh, what what's coming next? What do you see as being perhaps the most relevant trends that are going to be um, either that are impacting your business or that you that you hope to be able to play a part in uh, over the next few years? So the trends and influences that are impacting wellness architecture. I don't know if you agree, but I think residential will will be the main protagonist. The pandemic has forced us to have a very intimate relationship with our homes. People will be more demanding and we will hopefully see higher standards in public housing in terms of materials, quality, but also uh, about spatial spatial, uh, conditions. And uh, yeah, the home will be seen more as a retreat, healing space, a haven where we feel safe and good. Um, I think we will see a boom of adaptable furniture that allows home working solutions. Uh, and and um, also uh, rooms for exercising uh, exercising at home, as you would probably agree. But uh, we will also see an interest in adapting homes for telecare, and um, indoor air quality will be one of the things that people will persuade persuade more. 
Therefore, not only because of air quality matters, but also because of it, of its uh, healing and mood boosting uh, properties, biophilic design will be a recurrent solution for all those needs. I'm pretty sure. That sounds good to me. It, it feels like it's in a way a lot of themes that have been been popular in in the sort of commercial sector for a few years now suddenly becoming more applicable and, and relevant to to personal individuals at home. These are things that we've been talking about in big office buildings, corporate office buildings for, for years. But now it's we're talking about the air quality in, in, in your your home office. You know, things have changed so much in the last year. It's um it's a really fascinating time. Patty, thank you so much for your contribution today. It was very insightful, lots of interesting tips and suggestions for people. So where can where can listeners follow along? You've got your main website, thegoodthing.co.uk. Are you doing the social social media? Yeah, we're doing Instagram. It's uh, thegoodthing.architecture. And Very cool. um, yeah, and uh, but mainly, yeah, so mainly Instagram and, and the website. Um, I have to say that we have a... In the website, uh, we we have um, a library with a lot of uh, research that has been very useful for us, um, with uh, lots of insights uh, from biophilic design, neuroscience, and uh, healthy materials. So I encourage uh, people uh, to, to go and have a look because, um, yeah, it might be helpful for you as well. I saw that. I, I found the, the neuroscience section particularly interesting, but quite challenging. I might need to go back and read that one a second time. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for having me.